0: all right let's do this thing welcome back to raging romantics romance nerds i have a special little intro for us today hopefully this works thomas has not heard this yet Mm. let's go That was so bad. I'm so sorry. Okay.
1: <laughs> you didn't even get to the words. It was just like. Well, it's
0: getting the... hot in here. I also can't play more than like 60 seconds. Otherwise, we get copyrighted. So, oh, that's very, you fun. know. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> intro here. <laughs> hey there, romance nerds. I'm Jen. And I'm Jackie. We're two librarians from Nopal in upstate New York. And you're listening to Raging Romantics. In this podcast, we like to think a little too deeply about romance books. If you're into theory, history, and raging about Romancelandia, then you should stick around. Please be advised that some of the things we talk about may not be suitable for younger listeners. Content warnings for episodes are available in the show notes. Jen, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Let's, Let's rage! rage!
1: That was great. Thank you. I'm in the I'm in the zone now.
0: <laughs> uh, I was getting hot in here. Also, I can't play too much of it cuz it's not oh, very appropriate. That's right,
1: you're <laughs> so right. Anyway, we keep our clothes on at the library.
0: Please do. Please please keep your clothes on and your shoes. We don't <laughs> want to see that. Anyways, Jen is not here, so unfortunately you guys have to listen to one of my jokes. Um, hey Thomas. Yes. What kind of web browser do firefighters use? what the now defunct mozilla firefox (laughs) see i told you it was bad is it defunct i thought it was
1: maybe it is now that you say it i haven't seen it in a while
0: oh dang it now i have
1: to google it you learn something new every day at the library (laughs) (laughs)
0: firefox still around (laughs) it is available for windows 10 or later versions mac os and linux 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 whatever that <laughs> one is so it is still around never ignore that part where i said now <laughs> jen isn't here to fact check me <laughs> poor thomas oh it's
1: okay <laughs>
0: you just woke up a nap from a nap I this know. is like a rude awakening <laughs> i've been working all day there were puppies to be fair we have oh, puppies at the library jealous they were so cute, and I cried three times, <laughs> and I'm probably going to cry during this episode because there's one part whenever I try to tell people about it, I'm like, there were these things, and you'll understand why oh. when I tell It's a good, it's like a happy cry. Oh, good. But it's like sentimental cry.
1: Okay, I'm ready. So,
0: yeah. Well, welcome back, Romance Nerds. We are talking about firefighters today, and in case uh, the intro did not clue you in, Thomas is here with me because Jen's on vacation.
1: Ugh, Lucky lame. Duck. <laughs> I
0: mean, why, why would you want to go on
1: vacation? When you have the podcast. That's lame. Right? Like, this is all you need.
0: Jen, how dare you? Because I know you're going to listen to this because I'm going to make you listen to this when we (laughs) edit it. So shame on you. Anyways, thank you as always to Nopal for sponsoring Raging Romantics. And don't worry if you guys are getting sick of me leading podcasts. Thank God this is the last one I will lead for at least a month because we have some exciting stuff. And Jen has some exciting stuff coming up for the rest of this month and October, which is spooky season and obviously the best time of the year. Right now, we are unfortunately in the dog days of summer here in upstate New York. It's about to be like 95 degrees all week long. And oh it's September. Gosh. What is this madness? It's
1: ridiculous. Global it's climate change. Well, yeah. Can we say that on the podcast? Yeah, it's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about it. <laughs> okay, <great. It's> okay. <laughs> yeah, no.
0: Hashtag global warming. <laughs> I
1: know. I wasn't sure how politically neutral you're supposed to stay.
0: <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> I get yelled at. It's not the
1: first time. <laughs>
0: um so we thought well i thought oh basically i really needed something to talk about i was like firefighters (laughs) hot stuff okay it works (laughs) and i made thomas read a bunch of firefighter books recently Mm -hmm. so it's all good it's all good in the hood but thomas do you have any updates for us do you have anything you would like to talk about before we start no okay excellent how is marcellus library
1: doing? marcellus is great we're excellent. thriving down there and it's all good
0: what is your book club reading this month
1: this month? month we are reading kit mcbride gets Ooh, a wife you'll have to Amy tell me what Barry.
0: you think about that one i've
1: read it already that's why i chose it because i oh. knew it would be a, a winner oh good it's really good i i I was looking for historicals that weren't Regency. Yeah. And so this is American, which is different. And it's Western. (laughs) Cowboys. Yeah, it is. Go listen to our cowboy episodes. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Nice. We're reading uh, The Dragon's Bride by Katie Roberts, and I introduced it to Book Club, and everybody's like, is that a dragon on the cover? I'm like, (laughs) yep, it is. So we are introducing the the book, I almost said the podcast, the podcast also, we can introduce you to Monster Romance, although we already have. So it should be quite interesting. And you started reading it, you said. Yeah,
1: and it's really good. Good, yeah. good, excellent.
0: I'm just Very excited to hear what some of the other group members have to say. But oh, same. we're not talking about dragons today, sadly. We're talking about Firefighter. Um, so we're going to do, obviously, we're going to talk about the history of firefighting, because what else is new? And we're going to be talking about firefighters in romance, a little discussion post at the end, if you will. Um, before we begin, if anybody has questions, comments, concerns, you can always email us at ragingromantics And shout out to Florida this past month for being the highest listening state to the podcast they
1: beat out Maine they
0: beat Maine Maine only had four listeners this time Maine I'm disappointed in you come
1: on Maine come on
0: Maine I mean I guess it's on trend with hot stuff in Florida and
1: oh yeah I guess Mm -hmm. that makes sense Uh,
0: okay anyways (laughs) firefighters Thomas what is your opinion on firefighters
1: I think they're amazing and I could never do that I could never be that brave or athletic or I intellectual i mean they have to be emts in, mm-hmm. EMTs, in new york state? they
0: have to be emts in new york state they have to go undergo training they have to be first responders um, like they go through like the certification process yeah. for first responders um and a lot of them are at least so i grew up in a very small town i still live in a very small town we have a huge volunteer firefighters department and every memorial day parade we have like six firefighter troops in our parade um so yeah lots of firefighters where i'm from and a lot of them are veterans a lot of them mm-hmm. came from other forces and volunteer their time as firefighters so yeah like this is not going to be bashing on firefighters in any which way or form they are heroes in my opinion
1: yeah and they do a lot they do more than i do i'll tell you that yeah, that's very true yeah <laughs>
0: especially in my case um and firefighters in romance is kind of interesting
1: It is interesting. I think it'll be really cool to unpack.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into it. We have two separate types of firefighting we're going to talk about today. Let's start with the type of firefighting everybody thinks of um, because it has a very long history and firefighting is globally recognized. After all, one of the signs of early civilization was the creation and mastery of fire to cook our food. Cooking our food helped to increase food efficiency, allowing humans to spend less time foraging, chewing, and digesting, and allowing early hominids to develop a smaller, more efficient digest- digestive tract. Talking is hard today, apparently. Funnily enough, this freed up energy to enable larger brain growth. The downside of that is that ever since man discovered fire, we have also been causing fires, whether through arson, misuse, or accident. Today, 85% of wildfires are unfortunately caused by human activity. But fire also occurs naturally, whether from lightning strikes, dry tinder, volcanic activity, coal seams, even meteor strikes. So it goes without saying that as long as humans have lived in an environment with fire, we have been combating fire. Some of the earliest accounts of official firefighter brigades dates back to the Egyptians and the 2nd century BCE when an Alexandria named Ctesibus? Ctesibus? It's probably a C because it's 2nd century Ctesibus. Sure.
1: Depending on what model of Latin you're using. Yeah,
0: <laughs> We're not using the antiquarian Latin. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Thank okay. you. You get Latin jokes. Thank I didn't you. Know.
1: That one semester of Latin <laughs> finally comes in use.
0: Anyways, 2nd century BCE. Um, this dude in Alexandria built a basic hand pump that could squirt a jet of water. Of course, that didn't really save the library of Alexandria, sadly. You know, you win some, you lose some. Fast forward to the ever-present Romans and we have evidence of a fire brigade created by Marcus Licinius. Crassus. He took advantage of the fact that Rome had no firefighters and created his own group of 500 men who rushed to burning buildings at the first cry for help. But, of course, the firefighters would do nothing upon arriving at the fire until Crassus bargained a price for services rendered from the property owner. This is a running theme. Like, throughout until, like, the 20th century, this is a running theme. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If the owner and Crassus couldn't agree, the firefighters would just let the structure burn to the ground. Burn! Baby, burn. Wow. Just go and burn. Okay. <laughs> in 60 CE, Emperor Nero formed a group of firefighters called the Vigiles. Except I'm going to say it in the Latin way, which makes me less. Vigiles. I was v thinking that w. too. I was like, are we going to do the W? <laughs> Vigiles. <laughs> 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 they fought fires using water buckets and pumps. The Vigiles patrolled the streets of Rome to watch for fires and served also as a police force and consisted of nearly 7,000 men. During the fall of Rome and the subsequent centuries, organized groups of firefighters were largely lost to written history. Though, of course, it goes without saying that there were still groups fighting fires. There had to be. It would be the Great Fire of London in 1666 that would change the history of firefighting, especially as the Age of Enlightenment and modern invention rolled around, quite literally. The Great Fire started at the bakery of Thomas Farriner on Pudding Lane. Jen would be very sad she missed that name, Pudding Lane. That's so British. (laughs) That's such a Jen place to live to, and it is so British. Um, It started shortly after midnight on Sunday. Hey, September 2nd. We're recording on (gasps) September 2nd. Oh, my gosh. (gasps) It was meant to be. Twilight Zone. Sorry, guys. We just had like a collective brain. Oh, my God. It lasted through the following Wednesday. Because of the deep history of London as a city and because of the ramshackle growth, growth that resulted in the city being mostly built from wooden structures within the medieval wall, there were a lot of thatched roofs. Thatch, for those who don't know, is a method of roofing by interweaving thick layers of dried ve- vegetation as straw, reed, rushes, heather, or other similar plants, and it creates a watertight barrier. The only major area within the city built with stone was the center, where the more expensive homes of merchants and brokers stood on spacious lots. Add in the dense population of tenement housing, overcrowded buildings with jetties that overran lower levels of housing, and recent utilization of black powder industries, and suffice to say, London was a death trap with a lot of fire hazards.
1: Oof, that would not pass a modern no. <laughs> fireman's no. expense. No, the fire inspector would go, <laughs>
0: Now, obviously, there is lot water in London, and there was water in London with the Thames, and it could be used to fight fires. The River Thames was an excellent source if you could get past the thick river mud. And there were aqueducts left over from the Roman times and wooden pipes and tubes that could be broken open to supply water in case of a fire. But as the Great Fire in 1666 broke out, residents fled and the fire raged uncontrolled, burning across London Bridge and destroying water wheels there. It rendered piped water uh, useless. In addition, while there were fire engines, only one of them had wheels, meaning citizens had to physically drag these engines through the clogged streets, then back to the river to refill. And again, don't forget the mud. In fact, several engines fell into the river and many grew stuck in the mud and they couldn't be moved. So archaeologists are still like excavating these 17th century fire engines from the river mud.
1: That's really interesting. What were they made of? Wood. What? Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Wood and lead. Oh, my. So healthy. (laughs) So fun to carry. (laughs) So if you survived the fire, you probably had lead poisoning. Gotta love the 17th century, man. All these ineffectual firefighting methods, which had been used for years, combined with high winds at the time, meant that the fire spread rapidly, turning into conflagration that leaped through the city, even jumping the stone medieval wall to the west and burning there. At the end of the four days, fire breaks began finally began to take effect and the wind finally died down. By the end, the fires had destroyed 436 acres of London, including 13,000 houses in 87 churches, as well as St. Paul's Cathedral, which was completely gutted.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's why it was rebuilt in white stone. Mm. Yeah. Officially, there are only six verified deaths on record, but... It's believed a lot of deaths went unrecorded, especially of lower and middle class citizens who could not escape in time. This next fact blew my mind. The temperature of the fires reached upwards of 1,700 degrees Celsius, which is more than 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Human cremations only go up to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's twice the heat that it takes to burn a body, to incinerate a body, meaning that anybody who did perish would have been incinerated immediately with no remains left behind. Gone without a trace, as if they were never there. That's
1: terrifying. Isn't it? I couldn't even imagine that it, the fire could get that hot. Because
0: it, to give you an idea, it's the same level of heat as Pompeii. But in Pompeii, they had the ash, so mm-hmm. they could have casts, so they could tell where a body was. Mm-hmm. Don't even have that. Wow. Yeah.
1: I guess that would make it really hard to understand how many people actually died. Yeah. That.
0: And I mean, like I said, it was a full city. It was London in the 17th century. So like there was no great accounting going on mm-hmm. and this was when um the poor in the city were like they were everywhere sadly and they had really nowhere safe to go to and so if they were stuck if they were sick if they were unable to get out they were trapped wow yeah terrifying darn it putting lane gosh darn it baker <laughs> man i'm putting lane <laughs> But because of the Great Fire, wheels, as I said, began to turn quite literally in the firefighting industry. The Great Fire led to the development of a two person operated piston pump, say that 10 times fast, on wheels in about 1672. Also during this time, leather hose and couplings for joining hose lengths together were produced so they could have longer hoses. Very smart. Yeah, instead of just like this little six foot length of wooden tubing. Further during this time, we see the privatization of the firefighting industry, unfortunately. The first fire insurance company in England was established in 1667 by Nicholas Barbin and was called the Fire Office. His fire brigade employed small teams of Thames Watermen as firefighters, and he would give insurance policyholders badges or fire marks to affix to their buildings. And fun fact, you can still see this in some buildings in the city, like as historic oh, wow. registers. Yeah. Um, if a fire started, the brigade was called, but much as with Crassus, they would look for a fire mark first. If it was the quote-unquote right one, the brigade would help. If it wasn't, the building was left to burn until the right company was called. Oh, my God. Capitalism, baby. Capitalism. <laughs> I don't know why I just did an Austin Powers voice. It for felt that. right. It felt right. It, it felt really did. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, if we jump across the pond to look at a brief history, <laughs> I say brief, history <laughs> of firefighting in the then colonies and up into the modern period, the first record of firefighting in the North American colonies comes from Jamestown in 1608, where there is a... Evidence of firefighters being recruited for their strength and their fighting abilities. They needed to protect the equipment. And remember, there were fire engines at this time, but they needed to be dragged from the water source and refilled wherever that might be. Men and women would then drag the engines back and forth through early towns and settlements and then drag it back to the fire and to the water and all over that stuff. But the rub of this was, there were competing crews at this point in time, and since we're at the point of privatization, the crew that got there the fastest that got there first and hooked their engine up to the hydrant was the first team that got paid.
1: Oh, so they're <laughs> competing mm-hmm. against each other. Mm-hmm.
0: This is also partially why Dalmatians came into play because they were protecting the equipment.
1: <gasps> oh, really?
0: Yeah. I like wondered. the full development of the breed of Dalmatians would be more like the, seven, uh, the 18th century, so a couple hundred years down the line. Mm-hmm. But this is when dogs started being used in conjunction with fire engines yeah don't worry we'll talk about horsies in a second here and it's the part that'll make me cry (laughs) um if you had a crew of strong men and a crew of fighters who could literally knock out the competition then you got paid for saving the people in the fire or putting out the fire in 1648 governor peter stuvesant stuvesant Dutch last name. Peter of New Amsterdam, which would, of course, become New York City, was the first to appoint fire inspectors with the authority to impose fines for fire code violations. And this is also around the time um, that the privatization starts to dissipate a little bit, but it's still there. So just keep that in mind. Boston imported their first fire engine from England in 1679, though it was not the wheeled variety. I will put a link to the show notes in the show notes for you so that you can see what it looks like in case you can't visualize it. But in the meantime, imagine a sleigh or a sledge, um, like you would go, like a toboggan going down the hill, with a boxy container on it. And this would typically be lined in lead, like I said. On it is connected to a pump and a hose on the very top. And that's what a fire engine looked like. Yeah. And I think, like, size-wise, they probably couldn't have been very big because if you get loaded with water, it gets super heavy. Yeah. And you would have to have, like, a lot of men pulling that. <laughs> so I think generally in size, it would probably be only, like, maybe six feet, yeah, maybe not sense. even. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody who's listening out there. <laughs> out into the ether.
1: Peter Stoy Vissant. if you're out there. Your ghost, you hear us now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin and George Washington were both volunteer firefighters, and Franklin helped create the first firefighting company, not private entity, go Ben, in the colonies in Philadelphia in 1736. And this was also the moment that I realized Benjamin Franklin was really old during the revolution. Like, I knew it, but 1736, 1776, that's 40 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. You go. Go Ben. Go
1: Ben, yeah. (laughs) He,
0: He didn't do anything bad, right?
1: Oh, I can't make any problems. <laughs> you know.
0: Hamilton didn't say anything, so no. <laughs> he wasn't in any of their bad songs, I don't think. <laughs> That's how I judge American history now. <laughs> okay. And then Horsies... Horses, sorry, horsey, were first used to pull the engines in 1832, so legend has it, at the New York Mutual Hook and Ladder Company Number 1, where there may have been a shortage of firefighters caused by yellow fever epidemic. So there weren't enough firefighters, so they're like, get that horse! And they hooked him up and they pulled the cart with it. The idea caught on fast, and before long, horses were pulling engines across the country, especially as wheels started to be implemented in engines, it made life a lot easier. The horses were often trained to the sound of the bell to get out of their stalls and stand in front of the engine apparatus, which is so um, if you can think of a horse and a carriage or in a buggy, there's like the long stick things Mm -hmm. on either side. Those are called traces. So they would back themselves into the traces and they'd be like, "Okay, I'm ready to do my job. And a lot of the times, the firehouse dog would help them. He would guide them into the traces. Wow, isn't
1: that that adorable? A children's book way. I
0: know, and also (laughs) this is where the Dalmatian breed was popularized because you know they're super smart and they're also aggressive. So, or like Mm breed-wise, they're a more aggressive breed. So, this is the part that might make me cry. It will probably make me cry. Just so you know, it has a happy ending. But the last horse-drawn fire cart was in Chicago in 1923. A false fire alarm was purposefully rung. Fire alarm box number 848 was pulled at 1240 p.m. on State and Chicago Avenues and rang in Engine 11's Firehouse at 10 East Grand Avenue, about a third of a mile south and just off State Street. The horses were Teddy, Dan, Buck, and Beauty, and they responded to the call, leaving their stalls, backing into the traces, ready for work, not knowing it'd be the last fire call for them ever. Yeah, I'm crying, so... The carts pulled out of the firehouse to the cheers of a crowd that numbered in the thousands, all come to pay their respect to the team of horses and their handlers and drivers. The horses from there were sold to other owners, some pulling milk carts, other possibly to a pastor in the country. And with these two teams, there of horse-drawn engines came to a close.
1: That is very sweet.
0: <laughs> Isn't it? I'm like, it's like sad, but it's like a sentimental sad. I'm like envisioning black beauty. And yes, Thomas is like, you're crying. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But it's nice that they acknowledged the horses as, like, the important part of the team that they were.
0: I just imagine, like, the handlers and the grooms getting them all prettied up. And, like, there's pictures, and I'll post a link to the pictures so you can see the horses. And their their manes are all braided, and they have ribbons in their mane. And they came out, and they're just, like, prancing, and, like, we're ready to go to work. And there's all these people, and they're like oh, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> like that's how, that's, in case you've never been around a horse, they're literally just big dumb dogs. <laughs> and that is literally what a horse has saying inside their head. I have no doubt. So yeah.
1: Our horse whisperer of noble.
0: Yes, I am a horse girl in case you are fresh to the <laughs> podcast. I live on a horse farm. <laughs> so, um. but speaking of fire alarm systems, the first fire alarm system was created in Boston, Baston in 1852 by Dr. William F. Channing. Channing Tatum ancestor possibly yeah Probably. that's how
1: that yeah. works yeah yeah, yeah. You
0: know. <laughs> I was wait wait no that's the last name and that's the first name no relation but I had already said it so the whole world with it Um, Dr. Channing used telegraph technology developed by Samuel Morse that was commercialized in the early 1840s to create an alarmed box system. This system consisted of three box circuits, three bell circuits, 40 boxes, 16 alarm bells, and a crude central office apparatus housed in a building. The boxes held two fire alarms with a telegraphic key and a handle. If a fire was spotted, someone cranks the handle, the signal would transmit with the location of the fire to the operator at a nearby station, who would then alert the fire department and ring the bell to go to that location.
1: That is very cool, especially at that time.
0: It's kind of like... um... If you've ever seen Upstairs, Downstairs, or Downton Abbey when they ring the bell Mm -hmm. for the servants and it goes down into the... It's kind of like that idea, yeah, yeah. just with telegraphs.
1: Yeah, that's very clever to use the technology of the time to their advantage. And
0: Dr. Channing helped Samuel Morris develop the telegraph. So when it was commercialized, he was like, oh, we can use this for fires.
1: Oh, connections. I love it.
0: And I think... So the original place in Boston where this um, system was held, I think is a museum now. So I think you can go see it. Oh, field trip. Okay, I'm down. I love (laughs) Boston. Let's get some cannolis. I know a good restaurant. All right. The era of modern firefighting dawned in 1910 when gasoline engines were at first combined with pumping engines, with one engine both propelling the truck and driving the pump at the same time, which is pretty much what we use today. Since then, we have seen not only innovation in the tools of the trade, such as large tankers and fire repellent safety gear, but also in the way fire companies are set up. The private insurance entities and the -the on-the-spot recruiting of previous eras were largely replaced by career and volunteer firefighting. Small towns will have volunteer firefighters who go through rigorous training, like we were talking about at the start of the episode, much like the Army National Guard, and they remain on call as needed for the firehouse. World War II and the postmodern period brought civil defense responsibilities to the fire department, working with citizen volunteers to respond in case of an attack. Structural firefighting remains the main purpose of the fire department. But more specialized training and education, like in high-rise structure fires, confined space environments, vehicle rescue, rescue, and building construction education was included. Other disciplines, such as paramedicine, were added as responsibilities, resulting in the rise of such field as paramedicine for paramedics in the 60s and 70s. Today, for the majority of fire departments, approximately two thirds are made up of volunteer forces. There is a slight increase in paid positions from 31 to 33 percent being paid firefighters. Different companies and units hold different responsibilities and specializations, but it goes without saying that firefighters are a necessity in today's society and that those who go into fiery situ- situations are heroic people. Mm-hmm. Amen. Snaps for firefighters. Ooh. Okay. Any questions, comments, concerns?
1: No, it's really interesting to see the evolution of the profession. Yeah. I am intrigued by the fact that it took them that long to realize that they should use horses. Or wheels. Or <laughs> wheels. To be honest. Like, is that just men being like, we don't need wheels? Probably.
0: <laughs> like, Also, I didn't really mention it, but I think that the first um, evidence of a woman in the colonies being included in a firefighter team was like in the 1700s.
1: I was going to ask when when Men uh, got involved. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, much earlier than I thought. It was
0: kind of like whoever is strongest enough, let's go. And bucket brigades originated in, well, they were kind of all a thing, but like official bucket brigades originated in the colonies, I want to say in Boston or New York, one of the East Coast cities. Mm -hmm. And it was that every house with a fire mark would get a bucket Mm -hmm. and they were responsible for keeping their bucket in good shape and then if you got the call it would bring out your buckets and everybody would pass a bucket along and then you get your bucket back in the end that's
1: very cool to see as i'd said before how they used what limited technology yeah or and then like citizen force exactly it's
0: just so so heartwarming to see people working together for the better cause (laughs) (laughs) anyways Now, there is one last piece of firefighting I would like to get into, and this might be a soapbox moment for me because I'm very passionate about this next subject. Wildland firefighting. I want to start this portion of the episode by saying that most modern Americans' understanding of wildfire is severely colored by fear and misunderstanding. Wildfire is a highly destructive force, yes, It is also something that is terrifying to be faced with. We're lucky here in upstate New York that we don't usually have to deal with large uncontrolled fires or similar situations. We've had like one scattered every couple of years. And then this past summer we had to deal with the smoke from the wildfires in Canada. But like to have to deal with something on the scale that Colorado or California has to deal with on the regular, we are lucky in that we don't because we have a high water level and we don't have as much tinder as they do. Um, I've been involved in one forest fire in my lifetime and it was absolutely one of the scariest situations I've been in, in my life. And it was like small change compared to what a lot of people have to go through regularly. So I'm not trying to diminish or like anything like that for wildfire. So just understand that going into this, but as scary as wildfire can be, just as Mufasa tells us in the Lion King, <laughs> it is a necessary part of the environment in some instances, Prior to colonization, indigenous peoples were using slash-and-burn techniques to maintain the ecosystem, at least here in the States, for centuries. And spontaneous wildfires, such as those caused by dried tinder, lightning strikes, or volcanic activity, have been a part of the landscape since there was a landscape to observe. Some species of flora even rely on regular fires to spread their seeds. Certain conifers have a layer of resinous substance that needs the high temperature of fire to melt the coating and allow the seeds to be released. Natural wildfires also play into effect when it comes to evolution, weeding out weak and diseased specimens to ensure survival of various species as strong as they can be.
1: Yeah, I only learned that a few years ago when Australia was having those fire issues that it is an environmental benefit mm-hmm. to a certain extents, and controlled.
0: If you think of the Lion King, he brushes aside the ash and out pops this green spring, and yeah, that happens. There's so much nitrogen in ash that can be left behind by fires, as long as it's not a toxic fire with like plastics mm-hmm. in it, like a natural wildfire, that it helps really with the fertilization of the soil, mm-hmm. and it can help a lot of species grow.
1: Go Earth. Right? That's Snaps amazing. Snaps for Mother Earth. Snaps. There we go.
0: <laughs> I love it. In short, fire can be good. (laughs) But this wasn't a stance that was understood and put into practice really until our lifetime here in the United States.
1: Wow. Yeah. We really should have listened to the indigenous people sooner. (laughs) Seriously.
0: It stands to reason that people should and will be scared of wildfires. But it also stands that most wildfires today are caused by human activity, whether through neglecting to properly douse a campfire or through purposeful acts of arson. And since in colonial times, non-indigenous groups have sought to suppress any instance of wildfire, whether it was caused by natural reasons or through human acts. The first wildland fire control program, and this was news to me, was established in 1885 in the Adirondacks Reserve in New York. Oh, wow. That's not far from here. Yeah, no, it's like not even two hours to get there. It's like an hour and a half from my house. Um, By the following year, a program was established in Yellowstone. So Adirondacks was before Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. Let let the record show. These initiatives were inspired by German wildland firefighting and ubiquitously sought to, quote, extinguish all fires regardless of severity. Unfortunately, after the devastating fire of 1910 in northern Idaho and western Montana that burned over 5 million acres and killed 79 firefighters, wildland firefighting practices shifted to reflect a harsher policy. The U.S. Forest Service, USFS, declared war on forest fires and launched an aggressive campaign on fire prevention and control. Questions about the merits of light burning. So light burning is like the slash and burn technique that indigenous peoples would use. So purposeful burning of bad environments or letting naturally caused wildfires burn for a little bit, as long as they're not impeding on human settlement or anything. Um, But questioning about the merits of light burning in 1926 led to a new policy that allowed areas of 10 acres or less to burn, but required suppression of all fires over 10 acres. Unfortunately, the Tillamook fire of 1933 took us right back to that stringent anti-burn practice, and the USFS mandated that all fires were to be, quote, extinguished during the first duty shift after a fire's discovery or by 10 a.m. the following day. So imagine this giant fire and you're a firefighter and your boss is like, well, we got 10 hours to distinguish this, extinguish this giant fire. (laughs) You can imagine it wasn't the best policy. No, not at all. No. It wouldn't be until the beginnings of the environmental movement in the late 60s and 70s that the tide shifted. As our understanding of our environment and our impact on it grew to attention, so too did our understanding of wildlands management. In 1971, the USFS decided to allow some lightning fires to burn as naturally prescribed fires. And in 1978, the USFS excluded the 10 a.m. objective. Emphasis shifted to resource resource management strategies. And by 1988, changes were made by the United States Forest Service and National Park Service to allow many natural fires to burn on federal land. Now, notice I've used words like many, federal, and natural because it remains A fact, the wildfire is a natural part of most ecosystems. The destructive fires we see today become so dangerous because of two reasons. They're man-made or man-caused and or they encroach upon human developments. We've recently seen how catastrophic these fires can be with what happened in Maui last month. Hawaii Power Utility, and this is recent news as of recording this episode, Hawaii Power Utility took the blame for the first wildfire, but denied allegations of causing the rest in what was no doubt, in my mind, a trickle-down effect. And Hawaiian Electric is pushing back against litigations that have been published against them, claiming it's not all their fault. The first fire appears to have started on August 8th, 2023, as a direct result of power lines that were felled by high winds. Hawaiian Electric denies the claim that the second blaze started as a result of more down lines and ensuing winds, saying that the lines had been, quote, de-energized for more than six hours when the second blaze started. Regardless of how at fault the power company is or was, the reignited blaze tore through Lahaina. It's Lahaina, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> tore through Lahaina. Please forgive me if I say that name wrong. I am a white person. (laughs) Um, It killed at least 115 people and destroyed thousands of structures. I'm sure by now we've all seen the absolutely heart-wrenching videos of individuals fleeing on personal flotation devices like surfboards and paddleboards into the water, wading out the blaze with an apocalyptic-like burn in the sky above them. Fighting these fires, while not totally wildfires, has demonstrated how out-of-control flames can get. There are reports of neighbors using garden hoses to put out smoldering timbers in their neighbor's lawns, and the firefighters on the island have become overtaxed with this ongoing situation. Just recently, Biden, President Biden, um, was talking about employing the National Guard to go out.
1: Yeah, as he should.
0: Maui just goes to demonstrate how something as little as a downed power line can cause catastrophic damage to life and home. And wildfires like this threaten populations in the U.S. every single year. I feel like every year in the past 10 years we've heard about catastrophic fires, whether here in the U.S. or like you said in Australia, like four years ago?
1: Yeah, it wasn't that long.
0: Yeah, it was like 2019. I think it was right before the pandemic. Yeah. Wildland firefighters rose as a career opportunity in response to these types of fires. And to this day, it remains one of the deadliest careers in the United States. The, um, so just a general trigger warning for this part is that we're going to be talking about more firefighters who did unfortunately lose their lives in some instances. So if that's triggering for you, totally understand. Um, these people were heroes, though, so we respect everything that they've done. The first wildland fire crew rose in Yellowstone in 1886, but remember the Adirondacks was first. Um, When Captain Moses Harris from Troop M of the 1st United States Cavalry took over command at Yellowstone National Park and put together a crew from the cavalry to manage the administration and protection of the park. Shortly after their arrival in Yellowstone, which had been a national park for only six years at this point, soldiers started to fight wildfires taking place around the park, becoming the first wildland firefighters to be paid for their service. In an attempt to reduce dangers within the park for visitors and locals alike, the soldiers began to enforce new regulations, including the requirement that camping parties would only ever build fires when it was deemed to be absolutely necessary. It would again be after the Great Fire of 1910 that Congress stepped in, doubling the Forest Service's budget in 1911 and passing legislation to institutionalize and professionalize fire suppression in wild areas. During FDR's New Deal, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, to you, Mm -hmm. New Deal, the Civilian Conservation Corps provided the manpower necessary to implement the new policies towards wireland firefighting, i.e. that 10 a.m. policy that we talked about where all fires needed to be suppressed by 10 a.m. the next day. The Civilian Conservation Corps was the manpower that was going out and trying to Mm -hmm. enforce this 10 a.m. rule. New practices, tools, and techniques arose during this time period, though none so instrumental as smoke jumpers are you familiar with smoke jumpers
1: vaguely okay yeah all
0: right nora roberts actually wrote one about a wrote a book about smoke jumpers really chasing fire oh that's interesting It's a really good book and it got turned into like one of those not lifetime but like lifetime-esque movies yeah yeah it was i'll check that out it was actually a good movie (laughs) so yeah but the book is also obviously fantastic um so smoke jumpers These hotshots were first proposed by T.V. Pearson in 1934 and were envisioned as self-sufficient firefighters who could parachute into a fire scenario from above. Jumping out of a plane with pack and gear ready for strenuous, independent work of dealing with dangerous fires in rugged terrain. So the plane will fly over these fires and they... The men and women, the firefighters, will jump out with everything they need, including camping gear. It's like minimalist camping gear, to be honest. But then all of their, like their chainsaw, their axe, their, um, their fire blankets, all this. They jump out with a parachute attached too, and they land. And it's their job. I think they have like five acres. They have to control themselves, and then they'll meet up with their crew at various points. So they're doing all this on their own.
1: Wow. Yeah. I can't even fathom. Being a smoke jumper
0: is like top tier of being a wildlands firefighter yeah. so I, I dated a wildlands firefighter for a while and he was um he was training to be a smoke jumper and he was like this is the hardest thing i've ever had to do in my life yeah. and you can train for years and still not be accepted as a smoke jumper
1: i can't imagine how much training that must require <clears throat> yeah on top of you know bravery yeah and, yeah yeah
0: it's pretty wild. The program for smokejumpers started in 1939 as an experiment in the Northwest Pacific region, and the very first jump was made in 1940 in, on the Idaho Nez Perce National Forest. I'm sure you can imagine that after aerospace technology advancements during World War I and World War II and going forward into the utilization of helicopters, smokejumpers became an elite task force, as I was just saying, one that is incredibly specialized and in one of the most dangerous tasks you can undertake as a wildland firefighter. You're literally jumping from the sky into a fire. With gasoline on your back for your chainsaw. Oh.
1: <laughs> so,
0: yeah. That being said, being a wildland firefighter is not something someone stumbles into. Wildland firefighters are highly trained individuals at peak levels of physical fitness who put their lives on the line at a moment's notice to protect not only their natural spaces, but also individuals who are in the path of the flames. They perform life-saving medical interventions in the middle of the woods, operate dangerous search and rescues in unforgiving and life-threatening terrain, have to deal with individuals who may be belligerent or downright dangerous, and yes, there are even animals you have to contend with. Let's not forget the West has bears.
1: <gasps> Rar.
0: Oh. Okay. Oh, and don't forget the fires. <laughs> and <that too>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's fire included. So yeah, it's pretty dangerous. Today, wildland firefighters focus on suppressing and managing fires while also performing all the aforementioned deeds in the middle of the woods. The concept of wildfire suppression refers to the specific firefighting tactics trained professionals utilize in dealing with wildland fires. These firefighters often work alongside carefully designed aircrafts, and trained crews construct fire lines, suppress flames, and extinguish areas of heat in an attempt to preserve and protect as much natural wilderness and resource as possible. They focus on depriving the fires of fuel and oxygen, building fire breaks and lines to herd the fire towards the path of least, least destruction, and they do all this using roughly the same tools that their predecessors used a century earlier. Chainsaws, which replaced axes for the most part, although they do still carry axes. Shovels and a combination axe and hoe called a Pulaski. Plaski. We have a Pulaski in New York, so I automatically assume it's Pulaski. It could be a plaski. It just sounds
1: wrong. When I looked at it, I was like, oh, Pulaski. <laughs> pulaski. Yeah. Anyways.
0: Um, all of this is used to clear organic material. And in addition, those specialty aircrafts can fly overhead, dropping lines of fire suppressant from above. So in short, it's a very in-depth, hard, grueling job to do. And that is all the minutiae about firefighting I think we should get into for today because it's already been like 40 minutes. (laughs) So, Thomas, do you have any questions about firefighting before we get into our discussion portion? I don't think so. Or comments.
1: It's just fascinating to see the evolution of it Mm -hmm. over the centuries to what we know now. It is so technical now. It's... Just a great testament to both the people who are involved in the profession and human innovation yeah. when it comes to creating the methods that we use today to extinguish fires and control them.
0: And perseverance. Yeah.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And did you say innovation? I think you
1: did. I think I used that yeah. word. Innovation. Yeah. <laughs> because that's all I could
0: think of when I was like we were talking about why didn't they use wheels? They yeah. use sledges. And then they used wheels and horse and they're like breakthrough. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's my modern mind talking. Yeah. Used to driving a car and riding horses every day. The
1: hindsight that we have. Yeah. It's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of someone in the 1600s Mm -hmm. and being like, oh yeah, wheels, duh.
0: (laughs) And also this might be a bit of a turn signal. Uh, I was just talking with my mom because we were watching the hurricane footage come Mm -hmm. out of Florida. And I was like, can you imagine being a a (laughs) colonizer? Sorry. (laughs) Uh, A new colonialist come to Florida and you're facing down your first hurricane like this with like no electricity, anything like, like that. Imagine being one of the first, colonialists to go west and of course we know they weren't necessarily listening to the indigenous people at this time mm-hmm. and they're faced with this giant forest fire yeah. can you imagine how terrifying that would be I know. like yes i can because i've been in that situation but like still not knowing like how to stop it how to survi- survive it yeah
1: not even having access to media that would have yeah given you some but info like hang on i have to google it. this really <laughs> exactly, quick like... how do i survive <laughs>
0: <laughs> or like even modern technology so i was saying that wildland firefighters don't necessarily go in with a lot of technology on their back they have fire suppressant suits that they wear but of course it's like broken down as minimal as it can be because they can get heavy yeah. like um traditional i'll say city firefighters just to refer to like the general firefighter that gear is heavy mm-hmm. it weighs like. What, 100 pounds, mm. possibly more? Firefighters out there, you can correct me. It's been a long time since I had to deal with a firefighter suit. So, <laughs> um, but so they obviously can only have like, I think it's like 30 pounds of gear in addition for wildland firefighting, in addition to all the tools that they have to mm. carry. So, if you're carrying an axe, a chainsaw, gasoline for your chainsaw, um, fire suppressant blanket, which is basically like a giant tinfoil tent that is mm. supposed to keep you from roasting alive um that and then all this other gear that you're gonna have to carry it's it's a lot yeah it's
1: more than i (laughs) i'll ever carry yeah
0: and a lot of this is also i say recycled but in a good way it's recycled military design Mm -hmm. so like the fire suppressant and the fire um repellent sorry i couldn't think of the word so i'm like doing the hand (laughs) flap gesture that is all developed from ex-military
1: oh yeah
0: and like the airplanes are they're mostly ex-military planes yeah yeah. yeah, fun facts. Fun facts about. We're full of, them. full of yeah. them. Yeah. Fun facts. <laughs> Listen, if you ever need a Jeopardy friend, call a <laughs> librarian. That is all I have to say. Just call your local library and be like, "Yes, I need a reference librarian. I'm on Jeopardy, and we'll help you." they
1: have a lot of librarians on Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I wonder why. Because mm. we know things. We know a lot of <laughs> random things. But let's have a discussion now. About firefighters in romance. Yeah. Because there are firefighters in
1: romance. Mm-hmm.
0: And I made you read a couple recently. Yeah. What was your favorite one of the ones I made you read?
1: I didn't read any of them. <gasps> I know. I'm so sorry. <sighs> I couldn't find the audio books for any.
0: Oh, of them. that's fair. I'm sorry. Yeah. A lot of them were indie that I handed you. Yeah. So now you have to listen to the Nora Roberts one. Yes. Chasing Fire.
1: I believe that is a book that was recently recommended to my book club by a book oh, club member yeah. um because one of my book club members she is a volunteer firefighter Oh hey
0: shout out to book club member Yeah
1: so she's awesome and so I had asked if we could do a firefighter romance at some point so you put that one forward i think it's highly recommend one. i know it's a nora roberts yeah chasing fire that's yeah. the only
0: fire one i think is she's it? done okay she did one that was like set out west and i think there was a fire in it but it wasn't about firefighters right so
1: i've have read firefighter romance yes though, so okay. i'm not going okay. into this as blind Fair. as medieval
0: Fair. romance. that's okay that is okay <laughs> um you also like the happy go happy-go-lucky end of the spectrum and firefighting mm-hmm. romance I think uh, for obvious reasons is a lot more serious
1: yes that's a really good point because it's such a serious topic topic and yeah. serious profession and I think that will feed into a point that I'm probably gonna make as we discuss oh, this oh yeah. okay excellent I wait to yeah. hear that point
0: <laughs> um so my favorite authors that i handed thomas or my favorite author singular really is pamela claire mm-hmm. she has this whole search and rescue line that is set in colorado and i'm looking at one of them right now i see the shirtless man over there it's called tempting fate um it's back way behind you
1: on the table oh, okay. underneath
0: Alice in wonderland it's like,
1: wow good eye <laughs>
0: thank you thank you i like to impress people when they're like have you seen this book i'm like third shelf second one down fourth book in i did that today and our new clerk was like oh,
1: so, superpowers
0: you know, librarian superpowers, but yeah, so Pamela Claire is really good, and she talks about wildland firefighting, mm-hmm. and I feel like. Maybe as a result of a lot of the wildfires we've been seeing lately, I've seen a lot more wildland firefighting books than yeah. I have of traditional firefighting. Yeah. That could also be confirmation bias, though.
1: No, I and there was recently a wildfire firefighter TV series. Oh, that's release. right.
0: I ordered it for the library. I think yeah. it's over on the shelf.
1: <laughs> so I wonder if that is correlating with yeah. what we're seeing in the, yeah. in the world.
0: We can also dive into uh, another reason here in a minute. Okay. It's, it's a bit scarier to talk about, but I think we do need to have a discussion about it. Okay. So, um, so just a general question for you, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Knowing the history now, uh, the development of the profession, why do you think firefighters are popular heroes in romance novels?
1: Because in contemporary romance, not romance yes. or anything yes. like that. Uh, they are, I think, one of the closest things we have to real life superheroes. Mm, mm-hmm. Or our own real life Henry Cavill witcher. Yes. Oh my God. These are people who uh- seem to possess the knowledge and strength of someone from a fantasy yeah. novel. And that's incredibly appealing and interesting to read about.
0: Yeah. Plus, I think the hero effect really plays into it. and They are, like you said, literal heroes. Mm -hmm. And it's not often that you get to meet an actual hero, I think. And so there are other types of heroes in the world besides just firefighters. But I think that because being a firefighter is such a prevalent job in any community you are in, Mm -hmm. firefighters, paramedics, doctors, you're going to see them in every single community. So I think it's easier to be like, you are a hero. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's just an interesting profession to learn more about. I had a very surface level understanding of what firefighting was until I started reading firefighter romance. And these authors obviously did their due diligence. And when I looked into it, a lot of the authors either interviewed firefighters or they lived with one Mm -hmm. or they had a family member who was a firefighter. So they're not just writing a romance as most romances do. They're shedding a light Mm -hmm. on a profession. Yeah,
0: I like that. Yeah. And they're kind of, there's like this inside knowledge I think you get from being a part of any community, obviously mm. that if you're outside of that, you can, you can do all of this studying It's the anthropology question. You can do all of this studying, you can do all of this, like observing and talking as much as you want, but until you're inside a community, you don't really understand it and you can't really reflect it as much especially as a writer and i think like you said a lot of these people have firefighters they are firefighters they know somebody they are married or in a relationship or Mm -hmm. somebody in their family is a firefighter because it is one of the most prevalent jobs i think we have especially as a volunteer force um and so there is this inside knowledge that is so easy to impart and so easy to digest as a reader yeah
1: yeah yeah And you get to learn something interesting about community members in your own backyard.
0: I will say, unfortunately, a lot of firefighters are not like the firefighters in books. They're not, (laughs) you know, the big, strong, burly ones. They are still big and strong and a lot of burly. But you guys know what I mean.
1: I think that's the case for, like, most romances. I'm not, like, walking into a hospital to get, like, a shot and there's this, like... (laughs) seven foot muscle man being like in Have a white seen coat the Barbie
0: movie yet <laughs> no oh I my haven't God. stop
1: I'm so sad I haven't seen it yet
0: oh <gasps> uh, well okay well it's streaming September 5th so <gasps> is it really I a, think so I platform. think I saw that or 19th the 19th the big ones Not Netflix. Oh, good. Because I don't have Netflix. I think it's like Amazon. Oh, perfect. This is not an ad. (laughs) I know. We're not being sponsored. (laughs) But so there's this one part where Ken, not to spoil anything, he's like trying to find all these different jobs. He's like, I'm Ken. I am a doctor. So he Mm -hmm. goes into a hospital. He's like, can I just give one appendectomy? (laughs) And it's a woman doctor he's talking to. So yeah, it's like Ken is kind of like this image we have, Mm -hmm. you know, like the TV doctor, the TV firefighter. Yeah yeah and then there's real life which they are still attractive people mm-hmm. they are still mostly good people um and they you know mm-hmm. the, i you guys i'm struggling you guys know what i'm saying but they're real <laughs> yes they're I, real
1: in most in most romance or any fiction we read the main characters are not people who could yes. really exist in the real no. world and we know that. And I think that's a part of the joy of reading it. It's yeah. a fantasy. Yeah, yeah.
0: Ooh, are we about to have the discussion we've been saying we're going to have for the past like three episodes? Maybe.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Okay.
0: Well, let's let's touch on it briefly. Separation of fact from fiction, mm-hmm. and idealization of heroes in romance novels. Because yeah. I think we're walking right into this. So. Um, recently, there was a bit of a scandal if we must be told, in the hockey romance world. Mm. Of course, on Book Talk, Jen would be here and rolling her eyes. She's going to (laughs) roll her eyes so hard when she edits this episode or when she listens to it to edit it. Um, And there was a book talker who got a little too invested in her hockey romances. um, And she started projecting the hockey romance hero onto a real-life team player. And I'm Mm -hmm. not going to name the team, and I'm not going to name the book talker, just out of recognition of their privacy. Um, and so she started going to hockey games um, and the hockey team recognizing like, you know, how big book talk was and how much like power we have behind us as book talkers. Um, they gave this person a jersey that said book talk on the back and it was the jersey like had the team logo on the front. She would watch the games and she would yell at this player like all these kind of derogatory things. Yeah. To be honest, her big one was crack my back. Oh, jeez. Huh? And she would yell this at the player as he was doing, like, his stretches and his warm-ups, which (sighs) they're sports stretches. They're meant to, like, stretch parts of your body. And sometimes you got to get into weird positions to stretch those parts. Mm -hmm. Um, And she would very much sexualize him doing his job. So it got to the point where the wife of the player came out and was like, listen my husband says he's uncomfortable to go to work he is uncomfortable to go to games and he feels sexually harassed mm-hmm. and the book talk person was like oh it's just games it's just fun who are you get over this like all this sort of stuff there's a lot of drama behind it yeah. Um, I hate TikTok drama. So. so dramatic. I'm like, go outside and touch grass. <laughs> go breathe outside air if you can. Go do that. Um, and the player came out and he's like, no, I feel sexually harassed. Yeah. And so she kind of like got shot down and like all this. But it opened up this big discussion of we need to recognize that books are not reality. Yeah. Like we can idealize our book heroes and we can idealize the characters in our books and the settings on all this but like you said it's fantasy yeah everything is fantasy unless you're reading nonfiction, and even then sometimes it's fantasy <laughs> <laughs> um so as we were going into this and talking about firefighters are not the real people the job is real the mm-hmm. heroics are real Like, a lot of the scenarios, because it is contemporary romance, and for the most part, it's not... I mean, there are some firefighter rom-coms, but they aren't, like, getting into as hilarious of positions as they talk about in the books. We have to be able to separate the fact that these are books we are reading, and these are fantasies we are reading about. And those are real people, and we cannot place our fantasies upon real people. Yeah, Absolutely. Listen, as much as I would like there to be seven-foot-tall blue aliens with horns (laughs) with quees in them, like... That's not gonna happen, I don't think, in my lifetime. I mean, knock on wood, but
1: I will, okay. <laughs> you haven't read Ice Plate of Barbarians yet, have you? No, I haven't. I don't think I will.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh man, there are audiobooks. Yay. Yeah. You can listen on two times speed. I
1: might do quadruple. <laughs> anyway. Get through the ice planet a little faster.
0: There are twenty odd books
1: in that oh series. Oh my gosh. No <laughs> And sh- then a spin-off. <laughs> no shade to and Ruby. A spin-off. <laughs>
0: And another spin-off, anyways. yeah. so I'm glad we finally were able to have that little. well, we didn't have much of a discussion. I just kind of talked. But
1: yeah, it's important, especially when we're addressing a topic such as firefighter romances where it is a real profession, yeah. uh, full of people who deserve recognition and respect.
0: Yeah. Like, can you imagine someone showing up to a fire where they have, like, placed this fictionalized romantic notion on a certain, like, fire chief or on a firefighter and, like, literally showing up and yelling at a firefighter as he's running into a a burning building, Mm -hmm. crack my back. Like, can you, like, like,
1: look. And it's just unfortunate and it's scary that some people can't separate the fiction we enjoy and the real world
0: exactly yeah so respect your local firefighters yes yes they are amazing people we're not talking about the bad eggs in this situation there's always a bad egg in every bunch Mm -hmm. as a chicken person i know that for a (laughs) fact (laughs) um but for now we are going to generalize and be like yes firefighters are all heroic people and all deserve recognition Mm -hmm. um and don't be mean to them
1: yeah, or weird or, or weird or cringy. Invasive.
0: Don't sexually harass them. Yeah, don't sexually harass anybody. anyone. That's just such unless they purposefully act you ask you for it and and they're into that. Yeah. and even then, don't do it in public. No,
1: and <laughs> Tessa Bailey uh, dissects that very, does she? Yeah, she um, on oh, I can't remember what podcast, but she talks about um, uh objectification Ooh. consensually <gasps> in like a trusting private environment. Ooh. And it's, I, I look at romance and I think about that as when you apply it to the real world, like interesting. like if it's understood and consenting, I'm
0: going to have to search for that and listen to it yeah. because that sounds really interesting. Okay, cool. Anyways, next question. <laughs> that was a good discussion. Thank you. Yeah. Next. And this is, um, Another bit of a trigger warning, we're going to be talking about men in uniform, which is a very fraught discussion in recent years. Um, we are not going to be hating on anybody. We're not going to be issuing any like of that stuff. <laughs> I can't talk. Jen is my smart brain, and she's not here today, so Thomas has to put up with my dumb brain right now. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about men in uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think men in uniform is still a popular trope? After 9-11, there was this precipitated rise for obvious reasons in army romances and police romances and, you know, real-life heroes, as Jen and I have said many a time. But in the wake of 2020, military and police have been less written about, especially in traditional publishing, from my own observations and as somebody who purchases large quantities of romance books for myself and for the library. Mm. Um, do we think firefighters have the same stigma? I don't think
1: so. Okay. Uh, Why? As someone who also is in charge of purchasing <laughs> materials for the library, I've only seen an increase, mm-hmm. not in just books, but in media in general, mm-hmm. uh, TV that's being put out, mm-hmm. movies, and. Chicago Fire. Chicago, Chicago Med. Fire. Yeah, all the Chicago. 911, yeah. <laughs> 911 Lone oh, Star. Oh, such good shows. Such good shows. Uh, I don't think so. Okay.
0: Yeah. It was. I kind of don't want to have a full discussion of this without Jen here because I think Jen is, has a lot of good points to talk about this with. Um, but I really think that after 9/11, like I said, we wanted we wanted those real life heroes. We also wanted the vampires and you know, the paranormal. So we saw a rise them. And then it was really my generation and my sister's generation because I am older than Thomas. I know I look young, but not I am much right? I'm turning 31.
1: Um, <laughs> half a century. Is like half a century. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> half a decade. I mean.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> That's gonna be the blooper for this week.
1: <laughs> When's your birthday?
0: September twenty seventh. I am a Libra.
1: Oh yeah, you're. You're almost. You're very close to being six years older than me.
0: Well, more so my generation, elder millennials.
1: (laughs) This wouldn't be an age gap romance. (laughs) No, 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 no.
0: (laughs) Sorry, bestie. Um, And, oh God, I forget where I was going. Okay, so it was really my generation and my sister's generation. She was born in 82. So between the two of us, who were the people who were going out um, and being recruited after Mm 9-11 and into the Afghanistan and Iraqi wars. Um, And so I think that, for me as a reader, when I first started reading Romance, that was something that I knew a lot of people who were in it. And I knew a lot of people who were in uniform. And so I was like, I want to read this because, you know, I can kind of identify with it a little bit. But now I think as we've gone on, on, for obvious reasons, it's gotten a lot less popular. Mm -hmm. And especially with readers of now mine and your generation, Mm -hmm. who are the younger millennials going into Gen Z, I think there is this dissatisfaction with a lot of people in uniform Mm -hmm. Um, as can be seen obviously coming through 2020 and going on with a lot of stuff we have going on in the world and a lot of the civil unrest that is going um, I think that we still look for those real life heroes but we're looking at it less so in the military and the police force and I think
1: maybe what we have been doing for so long and which is very dangerous is deifying a certain Ooh, group,
0: okay, as
1: if they're a monolith. Yeah, when really we should be observing the accomplishments of individuals mm, and the behavior like of individuals.
0: Okay, because what I do see still popular is like the Jason Bourne or mm-hmm. like the James Rollins. I love James Rollins; he's one of my favorite authors, and he writes about a paramilitary group, mm-hmm. um, or like ex-paramilitary. Um, and so I really like that you said of individuals because these authors. Yes, they're white male authors that I'm talking about right now. I know, groundbreaking. <laughs> um, they are writing about men in uniform or people in uniform, but they are talking about it largely as the individualistic aspect, and less so as the bigger force aspect. Right. Which interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. The power of a single person. Exactly. I like it. Um. And I really did like this quote um, that I found. It was actually from the Harlequin website.
1: Oh, go Harlequin.
0: The ultimate in sexy symbolism, a uniform stands for a code, a sense of honor, and an implied capability that elevates a leading man to an even higher status, hero. That's a great quote. Isn't
1: it? I think that really hits the nail on the head that the uniform from the first page gives us an idea of yes. what kind of hero this is going to yeah. be. It lends them a competence from Almost the Almost lends
0: them chivalry. Ooh, <gasps> the that's a C. callback. <laughs> 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 yeah, so it just all ties together, guys, okay? <laughs> but yeah, I think the uniform is sexy. Firefighters are a great hero to have in a romance book, especially if you want a romance that's got higher stakes to it mm-hmm. and less so of a rom-com. You can still have a funny firefighter rom-com. Lynn... Painter, I think. Yes. Yeah, it's got a blue cover. And it's got a firefighter and then a lady on a porch with a coffee cup.
1: Oh, that's not Lynn Painter.
0: Oh, okay. So it was Alice and Ashley, the roommate pact, correct? Yeah, yes. yeah. And that one is a rom com, and it's got a firefighter on the cover. I haven't read it, so I don't know. I did. Oh, what is it
1: about? Um, it is about these two roommates okay. and uh, a man and a woman, and the man is a firefighter. Okay. And he gets injured on the job, okay. and so she helps take care of. Oh, him. is she a nurse? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, and it's about them being in this unique situation and starting to develop feelings for each other. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: were there more? Yeah, Thomas has a list. Okay, uh, I because this goes back to that point I was um, alluding to earlier about you were saying. Firefighters and firefighter romances tend to lend themselves to be a bit more serious mm-hmm. with higher stakes. And perhaps that's why I'm not drawn to yeah. wild fire romances mm-hmm. because I lean towards more lighter f- um, fiction. So, what I've seen in the rom coms that I've read, where one of the characters is a firefighter, that it doesn't necessarily lean into the profession as much as more serious Mm. firefighter Mm -hmm. romances perhaps so we have amy leah's x's and o's
0: I didn't know that was about a firefighter. Yes, the oh. hero is a
1: firefighter and it's a romantic comedy. Oh. And so we see some aspects of his profession, but it's also only single POV from the heroine's perspective. Oh. So while there is a firefighter element, I wouldn't necessarily call it a firefighter romance.
0: Okay. Okay. So there are ones out there, but I yeah, that's a good point that it focuses less on the career and more on like the person mm-hmm. when they're not being a firefighter. Yeah interesting Mm -hmm. which yeah like you said being a firefighter is not a monolith Mm -hmm. they are people outside of their professions especially if they're just volunteer
1: firefighters yeah yeah well not just yeah just just. not just
0: (laughs) just you know what i mean (laughs) not Not diminishing yes exactly thank you thank you very much well, excellent. I think that that kind of draws us to a close on our discussion because we've been talking for over an hour.
1: Oh Wow, At have we point, really?
0: <laughs> we were just having such a good time. It was a lot of
1: interesting info I've learned today. Yeah. And I hope you have too, listener. Exactly.
0: You dear listener out there. You know what I would love to see? <laughs> this is the horse girl coming out <laughs> in me. A um Gilded Age romance novel between a Gilded Age firefighter and an heiress i was
1: just thinking how interesting it would be to read a historical firefighter romance
0: like get the horsies and the carts and so there was that series you and i were talking about because i couldn't remember the Lux series yeah and i think that there is one of the books has a fire in it like the stables catch on fire i distinctly remember that because like the heroine and the hero were having fun times up in the hayloft um (laughs) The Lux series is great if you like Gossip Girl and Bridgerton, by the way. It's <laughs> YA, but it's fantastic. Um but yeah, a historical firefighter. Great. Let's see it. Yeah. Let's or like even it, a guys. historical wildland firefighter. Oh.
1: Right? Like some Roosevelt, yeah yeah new deal firefighters that they were, we were talking about yeah
0: hey authors out there get on it yeah come on I that's not it. my area of specialty so maybe thomas get on it
1: yeah i mean i don't write historical oh, so true. i'm that's gonna true. leave it to the experts fair, fair. <laughs>
0: okay well on that note we would normally ask what are we reading now mm-hmm. but it is september and september in case you were not aware is banned book month and the end of the month specifically is banned book week so this entire month, I would like to highlight, well, we would like to highlight uh, banned books that you should read and why you should read them. Banned. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. No levity, though. Um, well, some levity. But yeah, so... Banned books are a part of the literature world we come in and that we live in right now, unfortunately. Being in public libraries and in school libraries and being in the book profession in general at this point in time is scary. We are constantly facing book bans and book challenges, but right now let's talk about some books that are banned why they're banned and why we think you should read them thomas would you like to lead the charge with perhaps the best banned book out there in my (laughs) humble opinion
1: uh ray bradbury's fahrenheit 451 Mm -hmm. a classic dystopian Mm -hmm. looking at censorship and the dissemination of information Mm -hmm. and and book burning and destroying history yeah uh this apparently has been banned i'm looking at it now on the internet because it is said to have graphic content including violently overthrowing the government yeah which a lot of books that was like do the theme. That. a lot of books do that so i'm not i'm intrigued by <laughs> fahrenheit 451
0: i think a lot of it had to deal with when it came out it was still in the wake of Nazi book bannings Mm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think that when it came out that Ray Bradbury was writing book burnings in his book they were like nope 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 we don't talk about that Um, and then the fact that he was he was labeled you know like a violent socialist (laughs) (laughs) so I mean it is Ray Bradbury so he kind of is a violent (laughs) socialist but um, yeah so I think that that is in part why and then also I mean the main character oh god I hope I have the right book in my head yes he is part of a police force policing force
1: yeah of um firefighters but they burn the book yeah exactly they
0: burn the dangerous books and then he like awakens Mm -hmm. sorry if you've never read it here's some spoilers for you (laughs) he like awakens and realizes what they're doing and he starts standing up to the firefighters so excellent uh segue there that you got beautiful um but yeah yeah it's a
1: fascinating book it's very short and like a lot of classic literature it holds up to this day
0: Yeah. We have one of my favorite cover copies here at the library. It's, like, got the book, and I don't know. There's just something about it that's just, like, aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Yeah. It's just classic. Cool. I'm going to talk about another classic. I'm switching gears. I was going to talk about one book, but I decided I'm going to talk about a book that I had to read in high school, and it still sticks in my brain, especially, like, this one scene sticks in my brain, 1984. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And listen, I am not... (laughs) I'm not a huge classics person. Like, I like the classics. Like, latin classics and i like shakespeare (laughs) and 16th century writers but when it comes to modern classics i'm not really that caught up in them but 1984 we had to read in high school and i remember getting absolutely sucked in by it um so it is about this society that is somewhat freakishly like a lot of stuff we have to do today um it's also if you've ever seen black mirror it's straight out of a black mirror episode Um, And the main character, he's another one who becomes aware of what's going on around him. And there's this one scene where he basically falls in love with a woman um, who has also become somewhat aware. And they're having this meeting and the government comes down on them. And, like, the scene just still plays in my head. And I can still, like, perfectly imagine where I was when I first read this book. Um, It is... (sighs) it's a tough read not only because it's kind of a thick book (laughs) but um because i think it hits so close to home in our society today um and it's uncomfortable to read which i think a lot of these books that are banned are uncomfortable um and that might be part of the reason why they get
1: banned. it is ironic that books are meant to be vessels that make us more aware Mm -hmm. and awaken us to the world and that's so that's usually what the books are about yeah and that's why they're being banned yep. so it just becomes a strange paradox
0: yeah yeah so 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 two of the most classic banned books out there that you can mm-hmm. read go pick them up from the library this week check them out From the library. Don't steal them. Check them out. (laughs) Give them a little adventure. Read. You don't honestly, you don't have to read the whole thing. Just kind of get a feel for the language, get a feel Mm -hmm. for the ideas. If it makes you uncomfy, that's what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then question why it makes you uncomfy.
1: Yeah. So yeah. And there's some really great adaptions out there. Yes.
0: Actually, the Michael B. Jordan movie of Fahrenheit 451. I kind of love that movie. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. But we've been talking for entirely too long at this point. Okay. So So, On that note, Romance Nerds, thank you so much. We will catch you next time with hopefully a very special episode. Um, Thomas, I have something to talk to you about after oh, this. Can't wait. <laughs> so, um, on that note, Thomas, what do we always say?
1: Rage on. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Happy reading,
0: everybody. Bye. Bye.
1: Ooh, motorcycle gang next time well,
0: jen and i have been talking about that actually
1: um shehan is that christine
0: christine feehan
1: feehan yeah she you apparently the, yeah i haven't read any of her but
0: oh yeah mcs were big obviously with sons of anarchy and then they just kind of like off. Everyone, it's a dark romance
1: yeah everyone was hot for charlie hunnam and then obviously <laughs> for <laughs> obvious reasons <Yeah.
0: laughs> Alright, okay. Well let's dump into jump dump. Let's, let's dump in. Guys. <laughs> this might be a dump. <laughs>